theyeshiva.net. It was in the days of Achashverish, he is Achashverish who reigns from Hoidu, from the country of Hoidu, till Kush, whether it's India, till Ethiopia, or other interpretations. Sheva Vaesrim, 127 states. Provinces, 127 provinces. Like Sarah, right? The Madrash says, yeah. Says Rashi, Hu Achashverish, Hu Berishoi Mitchilosoi Vatsoifoi. He remains in his wickedness, in his riches, from the beginning of the story till the end of the story. What's bothering Rashi? What's bothering Rashi is the redundancy. You could see from the headline of Rashi, Hu Achashverish. The Pasuk could have and should have said, Would have been very clear. And then you continue about the feast that he threw and so forth. Why does the Pasuk say, So Rashi comes and gives a special interpretation. The Pasuk wants to tell you something about the character. You should know, you're going to read a story now, and you're going to see that Achashverish went through a major transformation, supposedly, from an anti-Semite who was ready to execute a genocidal program against the Jewish people. The first time that it came almost to fruition that the entire Jewish nation would be Khalila executed Lahashmid And then he has a change of heart, and suddenly the Jews are his best friends. To the point that Mardechai is Mishnah Lamalacha Hashverish. Mardechai is the Prime Minister. He's the second in command. He's the Viceroy of the entire Persian Empire. No small feat. And the First Lady, the Queen, everybody knows she's Jewish, Esther, and he, he's crazy about her. So you might think that Achashverish went through an internal transformation. So the Pasuk says right in the beginning of the Megillah, let me just make it very clear to you. Achashverish, who Achashverish? As you would say in Yiddish, the Zelba Achashverish, what's the expression? The Zelba Yente Anders Geschleyert. You know that expression? You never heard that? It's an old Russian, uh, Russian uh, Yiddish expression. 
The same yente just camouflaged in a different way. That's it. There's no bizarre. Achashverish, who achashverish? He's the same achashverish. And now I'll tell you, Amolech Moedu Vat Kosheva Vatsham Meyem Adin. I think that is literal pshat in what Rashi is telling us, who berisha mitchilose vatsayf. But here is a question. Anybody who learns Rashi knows one of the fundamental ideas about the way Rashi wrote his commentary was he writes this in Bereshis a few times and then throughout the Chumash and Tanakh, Ani loy bossi elo mikra. Rashi's job and mission statement and function is to explain as best as possible the literal interpretation of the Pasuk. Acknowledging that there's so many other layers of Pshat and Remez and Drush and Sod and Medrush and so forth. And Rashi is sometimes compelled or forced, if I could say, to quote those in order to explain difficulties in the Pasuk. But his goal is, whenever possible, you see it throughout Rashi. Here, there seems to be a very obvious explanation in the Pasuk that doesn't necessitate what would seem somewhat of a far-fetched and stretched out, stretch, you know, it's a far stretch of an interpretation. And it's none other than the Evan Ezra, Rabbeinu Avram Evan Ezra, who was a contemporary, a little older than Rashi. Rashi lived in Germany, in France, and Evan Ezra lived in Spain. And the Evan Ezra says in his Pirush, you could take a look. He says, V'tam The reason it says, which is redundant. In Divrayam it says, Avram hu Avram. And over there it's clear because it's two different names. So it says, Avram, who is the same man like Avram. And the Pasuk in Divrayam goes through to explain the genealogy that comes from Avram. Here it's the same name. <laughs> Thank you. Henry, who Henry? It's the same man, the same name, was Wilson. It's possible. There was an earlier king in Persia whose name was Achashverish, just like the second Achashverish. And both of them were Persian kings. This is a second Achashverish who reigned on different countries, on different provinces at the first Achashverish dinner. The Venezra is telling us something that has been confirmed by many historians. There wasn't one Achashverish. Achashverish was actually a generic name for many Persian monarchs. They were called Achashverish. Just like in Egypt, they were called Parais. There was no one Parai. Every leader was called a Farai. Achashverish was a very popular name. So the Pasuk says, But that doesn't mean anything because there were a few Achashverishes. The Venezuela says at least two. Comes the Pasuk and says, Who Achashverish? Which one? The one who's Moilech Mehoidivat Kush If it would have said, It would have given the impression that there was only one Achashverish. And I want you to know there were many Achashverishes. But who Achashverish? I'm talking about that one. It would be like in modern American history, you would say, President Bush, the Bush that declared Gulf War I in 1991 to exclude the younger President Bush. I guess the third one has excluded himself from the race, so that's not an issue. But Vahibi made President Bush, who President Bush, that went to war in Saddam Hussein. Fine. There was another Bush. That's how the Evan Ezra understands the Pasuk. 
which when you read the Pasuk, it's actually pretty simple, pretty straightforward reading. Rashi, who always sees it as his raison de yetra to give the literal interpretation, here comes and doesn't acknowledge even that commentary, that insight. He excludes the Pasuk from every possible literal interpretation and gives us a medrash, a drush, which is obviously not a simple reading of the Pasuk. And let me just tell you, by the way, it's the same Achashverish. You should know after 10 chapters, it's still the same guy, even though I'm saying it in the beginning of the Megillah. That's why Rashi says it. Why does Rashi feel the need to do this? There's a klal in Sefer Yitzira. Notes, soifan betchilosan, utchilosan besoifan. The beginning and the end are always connected. We say in the Chadoidi, soif maisa, the machshav atchila, the last action is always first in thought. In Ahadrin, the minigiz, you finish a masechta, like we say, some chastere maskifin, haschala lahashlama, the end and the beginning are connected. Let's go to the last pasuk of the Megillah. The last pasuk of the Megillah ends, of course, on a very positive and high note. The decree has been abolished. Haman and his ten sons were executed. The people who came to murder Jews were defeated instead in a self-defensive war of the Jews against their Persian enemies who came to kill them and they killed them instead. Achashverosh has shown unique grace and love to the Jewish people. And the Megillah concludes and says, Ki Mardechai HaYehudi Mishnah L'Melech HaChashverosh V'Godel HaYehudim V'Ratzu L'Reivechov Doirish Toiv L'Yamay V'Doirish Solom L'Chol Mordechai, the Jew, is the prime minister, the second to the king. He's great among the Jews. He's beloved, he's accepted by most of his brothers. He seeks the good of his nation, and he speaks with peace to all of his children, to all of his descendants. I guess that's maybe the greatest accomplishment that you get along with your entire family. That's beyond everything. But call Zari that your entire mishpacha really likes you, that may be the greatest accomplishment. Okay. Of course, when one reads this Pasuk, anyone who's sensitive even a little bit to nuance understands the perplexing nature of this Pasuk. You'll say, this Rav is doing great. Most of the community likes him. This guy is a great guy. Most of the people agree. What's most? You say, Suddenly when it comes to Ratzoy, he's accepted. It's only Rav of most of his brothers. So Rashi, of course, is also perturbed by this. So Rashi tells us, Mordechai was not accepted by all of his brothers. Why not? Melame, this teaches us. Shepirshu mimenu miktsa Sanhedrin. Some of the Sanhedrin separated from Mordechai. Mordechai was, of course, a member of the Sanhedrin. Just to clarify, for those who are not familiar with the term, the Sanhedrin was the highest authoritative body in the Jewish world, numbering 71 members back from the days of Moshe Rabbeinu ordained in each generation, they were the highest authority in the Jewish world, spiritually and legally. The the main judiciary body of the Jewish people who decided any major halachic disputes and issues in his generation, the generation that came 70 years after the destruction of the first Baisa Mikdash, 
and the Jews began shrickling back from Babylonia, present-day Iraq, there it's Israel. And Mordechai is one of the 71 members of the Sanhedrin. Some of his colleagues, some of his friends separated from him. Why? Because Mordechai became close, intimate with the king, with the government. Obviously, he was the second in command. So, some of his learning was interrupted. Some of his learning was nisbatl. He didn't have the same time or mental space to learn like he did before. And therefore, some of his brothers separated from him. That's why the Pasuk says, Most of his brothers, but not all of his brothers. Where did Rashi get this from? It's a Gemara. The Gemara says in Megillah, your next source. The Gemara quotes the Pasuk. And Rashi explains why those are his addition, his words. His learning was not with the same quantity, quality, and intensity. Here, one asks an obvious question. What happened? What happened to Mordechai? Why Daka? Why did Mordechai remain in the world of politics, even though it took him away from his role as one of the greatest Talmidei Chachamim, one of the greatest members of Sanhedrin of the generation, if not the greatest, and Batal Mitalmudai, to the fact that he interrupted, to the point that he interrupted his learning. Now let's understand, there are some people for whom politics is their ultimate achievement in life. It's the greatest thing for them to have a political position. Once they have it, they will seize it and not let it go. So we can understand that. But not so Mordechai. Mordechai was forced in to the whole saga. So earlier he had no choice. His own Esther, whom he raised because she was an orphan, was taken to the king, not by choice, but Tiloka. So he kept an eye on Esther. He hung out by the Shar HaMelech. Later there was a terrible decree. Mordechai had to go and save an entire nation from... Extinction from genocide. So Mordechai gets involved in the thicket of the situation to the point that he nullifies the decree, of course, through Esther. So we understand why Mordechai is doing what he's doing. It's a question of Hatzalas Nefashis Mamish, of literally the blood of the entire Jewish nation, men, women, and children. But now that everything has turned around, now that Achashverish became a friend, now that the glory of the Jewish people has been extraordinarily pronounced on an entire empire of Persia, now that they have been vindicated, Mordechai should say, bye-bye. He who saw and knows the superficiality, the vanity, the narishkeiten, the pettiness, the grubkeit, the lowliness of the type of palace that Achashverosh led, as you could see in the Megillah, you had here a kugelfresser, a party animal, 187 days of feast. Even the greatest party animals don't have a party that goes for 187 days straight. 180 is not enough. He needs another seven days. With chur, karpas, with chelas, and endless alcohol, and mashka, and wine. And then when he starts choosing queens, I mean, you see what's going on over there. Mordechai was involved in all of this. So when you don't have a choice, you don't have a choice. 
The moment Mardechai, one of the greatest spiritual, if not the greatest spiritual giants of his generation, has an opportunity to go back to the yeshiva, to go back to the Besmedris, to go back to the Sanhedrin, run away. And that's why some of the Sanhedrin are very upset. Mardechai, what happened to you? What do they say? <laughs> Henry Kissinger, who was the Secretary of State of the U.S. for many years, a Jew, still around, so he once said, you know, he said, uh, it was a very interesting expression, he said, uh, corrupt, corrupt politicians make the other 10% look bad. Right? Huh? <laughs> Uh oh, very good, very good. Somebody once said the reason is there are so few politicians is because it's too much trouble to put makeup on two faces. It's hard enough to put makeup on one face. Um, uh, so Mordechai knew all of this. So why Taka did he remain? Did he remain in the palace? That's. The question one wonders when the Pasuk says, Or let's put the question a little differently. Why only Pirshum Emenu Mikza Sanhedrin? Why only did a few of his brothers separate from him? In other words, most of his brothers agreed with him. But why would they agree with him? To be Mavatal Talmud And Talmud on the level of Mardukhaya Tzadik just for the sake of a political position. Before it's pikuach nefesh, but now it's not. Go back, go back to the shtender. And the Megillah does not explain this. The Megillah tells us, The Megillah wants you to know that some people disagreed with Mordechai. That's why it says, Rashi is forced to explain what it means. That some were upset because he stopped learning and he became karav lamalchus. So now the question is, how can the Megillah get away with this? telling us that Mordechai was rejected by some of his brothers and not explaining to us why he wasn't rejected by most of his brothers and why he didn't follow the lead of a few of his brothers and go back to the Sanhedrin. So Rashi, the great Pashtun, is searching. How can the Megillah make the statement about Mordechai? And it's the end of the whole Megillah. The Gemara says an expression in Brachas, right? everything goes at the end, you end on the big bang, you end with a big bang. And what's the end? And explain to me. Explain to me what's happening. I don't want to go away with an impression, not understanding Mordechai. Miktus Echav seem right. So Rashi is searching. Where does the Megillah answer this question? So what did Rashi realize? Where did the Megillah answer the question? The Megillah answered the question in the first Pasek. No, it's Seifam B'tchilosan in the first Pasek. The Megillah said, Vayhi b'mea chashverish hu achashverish. Ask Rashi, why does it say Hu Achashveder? Zok Rashi, Hu Berishay Metchilase Vatsoifay. Right here in the first pasuk, the Megillah is setting the stage to explain to you the entire story. You should know Achashveder is going to go through a major transformation. Lest you think for a moment that Achashveder was really metamorphosized, loydubim veloyar, it never happened. Achashverish is the Zelba, Achashverish, the same human being from beginning to end. And who knew this? Mordechai knew this. And because Mordechai knew this, so even after everything seemed rosy and dandy and beautiful and glorious, Mordechai knew he has no choice. He has to remain in the palace. True, right now Achashverish is a friend. But it's because of the circumstances. What happens if in a few months, in a few years, Anaya Haman Vetzich Payav, and a new Haman is going to emerge? 
and offer him a nice sum of money or offer him another incentive, Achashverish could be metamorphosized again. He knew as Achashverish, who Achashverish. Don't get deceived. Don't be enthralled. Don't get carried away on a delusional cloud that he's your essential lover and he's your best friend. It happens to be, but Chazdei Hashem, the right circumstances, what happened? The Gzair was nullified. Everything is wonderful and perfect. But Amar Dechaynu, he has to remain on guard continuously. And that's why he has no right to go back to the Sanhedrin the way he would love to, because Achashverish, who Achashverish. That's why Rashi would not say like the Ebenezer. Because he's looking for the Pshat and he's trying to find in the Megillah where you have an explanation for the fact that I think they say an old Maise, it's a legend. They say it in the name of the Rambam, some say it in the name of other people, that there was a debate between a great rabbi and the philosophers if you can change the nature of an animal. So they were discussing the nature of a cat. They argued that you can train any animal to be completely, almost, almost completely, to be in many ways like a human being. And they trained this cat to serve as a wonderful butler, uh, to serve as a wonderful butler by a dinner. The cat uh, escorted everybody to their seats, and then the cat brought little cups, little cups of wine or schnapps to the table to give everybody, and then the cats carried on their backs little trays of food to bring to the tables, and everybody was absolutely astounded by this great feat, and it seemed like an obvious defeat for the Rambam. As he's standing there, he opens up a box, and a mouse comes out of the box. And the cats, who are all carrying wonderful, wonderful platters on their backs, suddenly observe the mouse. They throw the platters off. They cast the wine off their backs, and they run for the mouse. And he says, a cat remains a cat, remains a cat. And so, the same is true with people. Not all people, but some people. The cat remains a cat. You cannot, you cannot leave the palace. If so, however, we have now the opposite question. What's the opposite question? Why This seems like a very, very good reason from every point of view, to remain a cut of the Malchus, whatever the price is, just like they didn't complain that Mardechai was earlier involved in the Malchus because he had to save the Jewish people. Why Pirshim and True, most of the Sanhedrin agreed with Mardechai, granted. Most of the Sanhedrin felt he's doing the right thing. But how come some, even a few, Pirshim and the Megillah wants us to know it, that's the question. So for this, I'm going to share with you a story. Story I heard from the Lubavitcher Rebbe. I think he was present at the story. So it seemed from his words. The year was Tafresh Pei, Tafresh Pei Ches, 1928. Stalin. Joseph Stalin became the leader of the Soviet Union four years earlier, in 1924. The Bolshevik Revolution happened in 1917. There was a civil war in Russia between the whites and the reds. Finally, 1921, the communists completely took over. You had Lenin and Trotsky, who was a Jew. Label of Bronstein, Leon Trotsky, who was the head of the army of the, of the communists. And the communist regime took over the entire country. It was declared as the Soviet Union. 
USSR, under the leadership of Vladimir Lenin, who died 1924, succeeded by Stalin. Those few decades, the Soviet Union was engulfed literally in hell on earth. Stalin murdered between, historians argue whether it was 20 million people or 50 million people. He killed more people than Hitler killed. We can't even imagine the numbers, what Stalin murdered during his 30 years of reign until his death, Purim, March 1953, 30 years later. The situation of all religion in Russia was doomed, but Jewish religion was absolutely in peril. He set up what was called the Yevsektsia, which means a special section of Jews to deal with Jews who are not surrendering to the paradise and ethos of communism. There were millions and millions of Jews in Russia, but it was impossible to practice, uh, to practice Yiddishkeit. Everything was closed down. Anybody who could leave, many Rabbanim left, Rosh Hashivas left, they transplanted Yeshivas elsewhere. Very, very few stayed. One of the people who stayed, Mamish Yechidesh Gula, and I think at the end was the only one who stayed, was the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, the sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Rayats, the Maharayats, He built underground 600 schools. Imagine, in the Soviet Union, he built 600 underground schools. In American democracy, if you build one yeshiva and support it, you're doing well. It built under, some yeshivas lasted, lasted for a few weeks, a few months, a few days. It was an impossible situation. He was arrested, he was sentenced to death, then it was converted with exile, and then he was liberated in 1927. It was an, it's an extraordinary period in Jewish history, which is really not very well known. Finally, he saw he can't stay there, because they were just looking for another way to arrest him and kill him, and he left Russia in 1928. But most of his Hasidim remained behind in the Soviet Union. Many of them were murdered by Stalin in the 20s, especially in the 30s, the late 30s, and then came the Holocaust, which, you know, introduced a whole other reality. When he came out of Russia, so he went himself with a few members of his family, and he moved to Riga. Riga was in uh, Letland, in uh, Latvia. Later he moved to Poland, but then he was living in Riga. He called an Asifa meeting of activists and Rabbonim to create a committee for the sake of Russian Jewry. Rabbi Chaim Oizer was the, was the chief rabbi of Vilna, the Chafetz Chaim. They were very, very helpful to him because he felt responsible for Russian Jewry. He was there for many, many years. All the money of the joint came through him. So they were very, very helpful. The Litvish Rabbanim, Chiddush Rabbanim, everybody was very involved. But he made then a big meeting in Riga and he invited some key rabbis and activists to make this big committee that would be responsible, take responsibility for Russian jury, both in terms of fundraising and in terms of planning and strategics and, and implementation. One of the great Rabbanim of the time, Sarah Torah, who was invited to the meeting, was the Rakachavagon. Rakachavagon, Rabbeinu Yosef Rosen, was for many years, he was the Rav of Dvinsk. Dvinsk is a city in Poland, together with the Ersameach, Rabbeinu Meir Simcha But the First World War, Dvinsk was at the border. So he escaped to Russia, to Leningrad, Petersburg. And he was there a rabbi for many years until he could come back to Dvinsk. So he knew the situation in Russia very, very well because he was there during the Bolshevik Revolution. So the Rakachov who was now in Dvinsk, comes to the meeting. When the Lubavitcher Rebbe told the story, it seemed to me that he was at the meeting because he was repeating the story, although it could be he heard it from his father-in-law. And they asked the Rakachov to become part of this vat, to become part of this committee. They wanted him and his stature to be part of the committee for the sake of Russian Jews. 
Rukhachavra gone, Kedarkai immediately says, Satoli na machlaikis from Bavli in Yerushalmi. If I should go into the committee, depends on Amachlaikas between Talmud Bavli and Talmud Yerushalmi. Since the Allah is like Bavli, therefore I can't join the committee, which is how he spoke. This is how he lived, this is how he breathed, this is how he spoke. So they asked him, the Rebbe said, they asked the where is there an argument between Bavli and Yerushalmi if you should join the committee or you shouldn't join the committee? So immediately, this is what he says. This is what the Rekha Shavah says. And you have to appreciate that this wasn't a prepared shear by him for weeks. They asked him a question. He saw immediately it's an argument in Bavli and Yerushalmi, and therefore he can't join. What's the argument in Bavli and Yerushalmi? He said, Rekha Shavah said. Everybody knows there's a Mishnah Mesechta Brachas, and a Gemara in Brachas, Taf Lamed Beis Amed Beis, the fifth Pedic of Brachas. You have it here, Brachas Lamed Beis Amed Beis, look inside. Pana Rabbana. The early Hasidim, the early pious Jews, everybody knows, used to meditate. They would stay one hour before davening. They would prepare themselves, enter into a state of mindfulness, meditation, concentration, kavona, prepare themselves for davening for a full hour. Then they would daven for an hour. And then after davening, they didn't run. Another hour, so to speak, to internalize the davening. They did this, of course, three times a day, as Rashi says, Shachris min Every davening took three hours. That's nine hours. So nine hours for Shachris min That's what the Gemara Brisa says in Brachas. If they spend nine hours a day in davening, what's the question? How do they preserve their Torah? And how do they make a living? Somebody got to pay the bills, as they say. What happens? Nine hours a day, they're learning. They're davening. Who learns? How can they learn? And how can they work? And for the Gemara, Since they were true Hasidim, their Torah was preserved, was guarded, and their work was blessed. A Gemara in Brachas. Says the Rekachavir, in Yerushalmi you have the same question. And the same answer, almost. Look in Yerushalmi. Yerushalmi, Brachas, Perik, Hey, Halacha, Aleph. The Bavli follows Dafim. You have Daf, Lamed, Aleph, Lamed, Beis, Lamed, Gimel. Yerushalmi doesn't work with Dafim. It works with prokim, like the Bavli, first perik, and then with halachas. Every perik has many halachas, right? So this is perik hey in brachas, just like in Bavli it's perik hey. But here you go with how Yerushalmi will always be halacha, never daf. Just you should know. Halacha aleph. Says the Yerushalmi. The Yerushalmi asks on them, if they're spending time praying, meditating, connecting to Hashem for nine hours, which that itself we really need to meditate on what that means. What do you do nine hours in shul? Some people have a problem five minutes. Ten minutes already, they turn into pumpkins. Three hours, forget about it. That's why we have a kiddush, we have journals, we have magazines, we have everything in order to uh, keep it, uh, to keep it uh, under the ram and under control. Okay, but this was chesidim uh, harishayim. But that's, uh, that's, uh, that requires, I don't know, a shir, requires probably a series on uh, how we could learn to daven. 
Blessing was imbued in their Torah and blessing was imbued in their work. What's the difference between the Bavli and the Yerushalmi, you see? Huh? When it comes to work, the language is the same in both. The Bavli says, because they were Hasidim, Melachton Mizbareches. Their work was blessed. Yerushalmi says, Bracha Nitanes B'Melachton. Identical. When it comes to Torah, here there's a change of language. In the Bavli it says, Torah Sam Mishtameres. In the Yerushalmi it says, Bracha Nitanes B'Torah So you might say, what's the difference? There's a profound difference. Mishtameres means preserved. Mizbareches means blessed. Take a look in Rashi. Zok Rashi, Brochus. Teirasa mishtameres, betoich libom. She'ein talmudom mishtakeach. Their Torah was preserved, watched, guarded, shmira, in their heart. Their Talmud, their learning was not forgotten. What is Rashi telling us? Usually, you learn, everybody knows, you could learn a Mishnah, you could look at a Simen, you forget. Before you learn four times, you don't understand. Even after you learn four times, you forget. You forget a day later, a week later. I was reading uh, some years ago, a Jew came to Rav Eliyashev and said that he has a terrible, uh, terrible memory. He forgets everything he learns. He forgets. A week later, it never happened. So he asked him, how many times do you review the Gemara that you learn? Or the... So he says, four times. He says, that doesn't mean you have a bad memory. If you would review it 60 times. And then you would forget, maybe you have a bad memory. You review it four times, it's, it's not a bad memory. You have to chaza and chaza and chaza and chaza and chaza. If not, you forget. In fact, I would say the value of learning the first time is probably pretty small. The only value of learning the first time is that when you learn the second time, it's called the second time, not the first time. That's the value of the first time, that it's a preparation for the second time, with the third time, fourth time, and fifth time. You're davening nine hours a day. So how much could you review? You could learn a few hours, but how much could you review? So Rashi says that there was a special gift that these Hasidim received. What was the gift? The Torah was guarded. They learned something. It stayed with them forever. And therefore, they could learn. They didn't have to review and review and review. And therefore, they had a special gift. Because they were Hasidim HaRashayinim. That's what Rashi tells us. What does the Yerushalmi say? Something else. Brachin etenes b'teirasin says the Pnei Moshe. He's the great commentator on the Yerushalmi. Sheitzlichu lahavinu lahaskil miyad v'loyoyu shoyim. They had a special hatzlocha to comprehend the material immediately and it didn't take time. Usually in learning, till you really get it, till you really understand it, till you really master it, until you get it. Right, The first time you learn, you think you understand it. The second time you see you understand nothing. The third time you understand even less. The fourth time you're completely overwhelmed. And then maybe, maybe you start piecing it together and you get it. They had a special bracha. What was the bracha? That, they sit down and learning, and they grasped it, they fathomed it, they caught it immediately, and therefore they could cover so much more ground. That's why, in Bavli, the word is Teirasa Mishtameres, in Yerushalmi, Brachinatanas, but Teirasa Mishtameres means, you have something from before. What I'm doing for you is, you put it in my safe. I provide security, I provide shmira. I'm not going to increase it. You put the money in the safe, it's not going to be increased. 
What's going to happen is it's going to be guarded. You're going to get back what you put in, you won't forget it. Baruch means it's not going to be guarded only. It's going to be blessed. It's going to be mavurach. It's going to blossom. It's going to increase. It's going to grow. Says the Rakachover. It's two very different interpretations. According to the Yerushalmi, Chasidim HaRishoyinim Davin nine hours a day, they have a little time to learn, but that little time that they have, let's say an hour, they can accomplish what another person accomplishes in 12 hours. So I'm good to go. I join your committee. I become one of Chasidim HaRishoyinim because I'm dedicated to avoid this Hashem in a very profound way. And it's not a problem. I have much less time to learn. But there's such a blessing that I hop what I have to hop and I master what I have to master and I grow and what I have to grow much faster than I would have without it. And nothing is lost. But according to the Bavli, that's not what happens. According to the Bavli, if it takes 12 hours to learn something, I'm going to need those 12 hours. What's going to happen is, I won't forget. I won't have to review but if I don't have that time, I will not be able to grow in my Torah. So he says, since Yerushalmi and Bavli, we know when there's an argument between the two, halacha kebavli. So therefore, the halacha is Torah is tameres, and not Torah is bareches. So therefore, he said, I cannot join the committee because it's going to take away from me the ability for growth in Torah, which I must have. This is my thing. And therefore, he declined to join the committee. Those were the words from the Rakachav. Now let's take this one step further. Why is this an argument between Bavli and Yerushalmi? Because the truth is that the Bavli and the Yerushalmi operate on two different levels of learning. Chazal, as usually, capture it succinctly in their own, in their own uh, unique phraseology. There's two statements of Chazal about Talmud Bavli. There's more, but I want to quote two about Talmud Bavli and Yerushalmi. The Medrash Rabbah says in Bereshit Rabbah, Parsha Tezai in Piskadalit, you have it, V'zahav ha'oretz ahitoiv melamet shein teirik ha'teiris ha'eretz yisrael v'loichachm kechachm ha'eretz yisrael. The gold of that land is splendid. Zog the Medrash does no teira like the teira of Eretz Yisrael. What's the difference? The teira of Eretz Yisrael, the teira out the same teira? No, there's something called teiras Eretz Yisrael, chachmas Eretz Yisrael. The Bavli says, Sanhedin dav chavdalit amaralaf, Quoting the words of Yirmiya. Yirmiya Hanavi speaks after the destruction of the first base Amikdash and when they went to Babylonia. And Yirmiya says in Eicha Bemachshakim Hoishivani Kimeisei Oilam Hashem has placed me in darkness. Omer Reb Yirmiya Zeh Talmudah Shalbava. Bemachshakim Hoishivani. That's Talmud Bavli. On a humorous level, Reb Meir Shapiro was once in America fundraising. And he was speaking in a shul, a very big shul, but there were some people in the shul who were upset that he was given a platform in that particular shul. So in the middle of his speech, somebody shut off the, the electricity. And it became pitch, pitch dark. Pitch dark. So it was very uncomfortable. So the Meir Shapiro on the spot says, Yetzt fashtayecha gemara. The gemara says in Sanhedrin Chavdalad, B'machshakim hoishivani z'talmud shabavl. Is the pshat amahipton redden in lernen vert finster. You start talking about learning in certain places, they make sure that it gets dark. What does the Gemara mean here? The basis of Torah this is called darkness. So the meaning, of course, is, the metaphor that's been given for this is, in many ways, it's the difference between how the Rishonim learned and how the Achroinim learned. 
When you read the Tshuva of Arish and take the answers of the Rambam, they're very brief, they're very concise, they ask a question, in a few lines he answers it, Va'omar Moshe, Va'omar Moshe, Moshe said, same is true most Rishonim. You look at the Achirayinim, and we're talking about the greatest Achirayinim, real G'dayli Yisrael, and you have a question, and the Tshuva can occupy one page, two page, three page, four pages, five pages, back and forth with questions and disputations and proofs this way and proofs this way, until finally he gives his verdict according to his opinion. What's the difference? Somebody is in a room, and the room is pitch dark, and you're looking for the door to get out of the room. But you don't see anything. So what do you do? You have to basically discover your way out through feeling and touching and stumbling and making mistakes until from all of the negatives you figure out the positive. You feel that there's an opening and you go into it and you realize it's a big garbage can, you know? And you realize this is not the way out if I want to get out. Another opening and you're like, ah, and then you see you're not going to fall out of a window, right? And then you another opening and you're going into some closet, some bathroom, some pot. And then after trial and error, trial and error, trial and error, numerous times you fall and you stumble and you fail. So now, finally... <laughs> Finally, you deduce there must be one more opening and hopefully you stumble upon the door and you get out. But what happens if in the middle of the whole process somebody just turns on the switch? Turns on the switch and immediately you see this is a table, this is a pot, this is a garbage can, this is a bathroom, this is a window, and this is the door. You see it immediately. When you learn Talmud Bavli, the whole system of Talmud Bavli is let's start the search. You suggest one thing, that's refuted. You suggest something else, it's refuted. You suggest a proof, it's refuted. This is a door, this is a window, this is a pot, this is not good, etc. And then you will find the door. Yerushalmi is in Yisrael, the light is on. It was a different style of learning. There was a certain luminescence, a certain brightness. Each one has its own advantages. It's not only a question of time. This takes more time, this takes less time. It's a question of quality. It has to do with what we discussed last week. Parshas Kisisa, the difference of Luchas Rishonis and Luchas Acharonis. You could see the tree in the context of the forest. You see the whole picture, you immediately put it in context. And sometimes you're only dealing with one item and you have to figure that out. It's a whole different type of learning. It's a different type of process. And it's a different type of conclusion. This is the difference between Torah Seret Yisrael and Torah's bavel. But machshakim oishivani ze tal mudoshel bavel. The Gemara famously says in Brachas, ain uchlusa bavel. The Gemara says, ain tainis tzibur bavel. The concept of tzibur, the concept of absolute cohesiveness, exists only in Eretz Yisrael. It's true also in Torah. In Eretz Yisrael, the Torah is seen as a tzibur, as one collective whole. The light is on, and you see the full picture, and therefore you can go directly to it. In Bavel, it's a different style, it's a whole different paradigm, it's a different experience. If that's the case, come now back to our discussion. In Talmud Yerushalmi it says, the Hasidim HaRishayim had an hour to learn. They grasped the material immediately. What it would take another person so much more time, they had a special bracha, that this little Torah grows and blossoms and they have all the success they would have had if they'd spent day and night learning. Bavli! That's not the system of Bavli. What Bavli says is, they that a special gift to contain the material. Mishtameres, to hold on to the material, to preserve the material. 
But not the bracha to grow and blossom. You have a little time, you have a little time. You learn what you could learn then. You grow as you much, as much as then, but the rest is preserved. That's why the Bavli says mishtameres, the Yerushalmi says mizbarachas. If that's the case, let's now go back to Mordechai and his colleagues. Where did the Sanhedrin come from? The primary location of the Sanhedrin was in Eretz Yisrael. Different cities, and then the Sanhedrin Gdoila, which was situated, of course, in Yerushalayim, when there was a Beis HaMikdash, by the Lishka Sargazis, right there on the mountain of Anharabai, as part of the Beis HaMikdash, had the Sanhedrin. However, this was not at a time when the Jews were, when some Jews were, most Jews were not in Eretz Yisrael. Mordechai was exiled. We have this apostolic in Megillah. Says the Pasuk in Megillah, Perik, hey, Perik Beis, when Mordechai is introduced the first time, Ish Yehudi Hoya B'Shushan Abirim, Ushmai Mordechai Ben Yari Ben Shimi Ben Kish Ish Yemini. So you have a man in Shushan, his name is Mordechai, Asher Hoblom Yerushalayim Hagoyla, Asher Hoblosayim Yechom Yemalach Yehuda, Asher Heglon Nebuchadnezzar Melech Bavel. Mordechai was exiled from Yerushalayim. With the exile that Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian emperor, exiled Yechonia, the king of Yehuda, and he exiled Mordechai, the Apostle Malachim, he exiled Hacharash, Vahamazger, that the Gemara says in Gitten, you'll soon learn it with the greatest Talmidic Hachamim of the generation, Hacharash, Vahamazger, and he exiled them to Yerushalayim, and this was before the Churban. This was more than a decade before Churban by Yisrishan. The king was Yechonia, he was a son of Yehoyakim, whom who revolted against Nebuchadnezzar and he appointed his son Yechanya, but he was a king only for three months. Nebuchadnezzar exiles him with most of the spiritual leaders of the generation to Bavel before the Beis HaMikdash is destroyed. Later a new king comes up after Yechanya, his uncle, his name was Sitkiyo. He reigns and then he revolts against Nebuchadnezzar. That's when Nebuchadnezzar comes in a second time, destroys the Beis HaMikdash, massacres the Jews, exiles the living ones, the remnants to Babylonia. But they were welcomed in Babylonia already by a group of the greatest Talmudic Chachamim who were there more than a decade earlier together with Mordechai and the Sanhedrin and the Kharij Ramazgan. That's why, by the way, Babylonian Jewry was so successful and prosperous in terms of spirituality, in terms of Torah, because the people who laid the foundations for the Babylonian community were people in the stature of Mordechai who came in the first exile before the second exile. So where did Mordechai come from? Asher Hagla Mirushalayim, even though he was in Bavel. But over the years, this is 70 years after the destruction, the time of Purim already. You can have different members of the Sanhedrin. We'll have in later generations, the Gemara discusses in Psachim, Hillel Habavli. Hillel who comes from Bavel. Ari Olami Bavel. Reb Nosan Habavli. Also in Gitin Rashi says he came from Bavel. You had some Sanhedrin who came from Bavel. If so, we now understand the argument. Mordechai was an Eretz Yisrael Dikeyid. Mordechai was a Talmud Yerushalmi Yid. Not everybody were Talmud Yerushalmi Yidin. There were a minority at that time who were Talmud Bavli Jews. So now came the question. Mordechai goes into the palace. Why? Achashverish, who Achashverish? He feels that it's obviously, I have to clarify. We're not dealing here with a question of Mamesh Vadai Pikuach Nefesh that the Jewish people are in danger, then there would be no argument. We're not even dealing with a question of Suffolk Pikuach Nefesh, which is also Doiche Kola Kola. We're dealing with a question that maybe there's going to be some new Haman that will emerge and transform Achashverish. So Mordechai goes into politics and he stays in politics. Most of the Sanhedrin agree with him. Some don't. Why? Here is the answer. 
Mordechai was the sheet of Talmud Yerushalmi. Bracha nitenes betairasa. So therefore he could stay all day in the palace, be entrenched in a vicious political world which is not very idealistic and not very pure. It's petty, it's, uh, it's narcissistic, it's self-centered, it's full of flattery. Like the Mishnah says in Prekayavis, heavy zihir in be careful with government, they'll appear to your, be your friends during the election season. But read my lips, but once you elect them, the game, the game is over. So Mordechai says, And if So the few hours he has at night to sit and learn, there's going to be such a blessing in it. He'll be able to compensate for all the hours he didn't spend learning with his chaver and with his friends. Most of the Sanhedrin who come from Eretz Yisrael agree with him. But Pirsha Bameno Mikza Sanhedrin. There were those who had a different shit to the shit of Talmud Bavli. Toiroson Mishtameres, not Toiroson Mishbarechas. And therefore, from their perspective, it's not worth it. How could you give away the eternal real world of Talmud Torah for the transient, petty, superficial, fake world of politics? It's unfair. Maybe you'll have a blessing to remember what you learned, but to be able to grow in your Torah, to be able to master your Torah, to be able to bless your Torah, it's impossible. Which the truth is, when we look into the Gemara Masech Megillah, and you see the structure of the Sugya, we could sense this approach subtly. Take a look in the Gemara, it's the source is closer to the beginning. The Gemara says, Some of the Sanhedrin separated from him. Now look at the Gemara Vaiter. Omer Rabbi Yosef. Rabbi Yosef said, the learning of Torah is greater than saving souls. The In Tanakh, first Mordechai is counted after four, and then he comes after five. He becomes number six. In the Sefer of Ezra, Ezra Pedic Beis, the Pasuk says that there were Jews who came from Babylonia back to the Holy Land. They come back with Zubavel. Yeshua, Nechemia, Sawyer, Alia, and Mordechai Bilsha. Mordechai is number five. And then you have a later Sefer Nechemia, Perik Zion, Haboyim Imzrubavel. Again, here you have a list. Yeshua, Nechemia, Azariah, Ra'amia, Nachmani. Mordechai Bilshon is number six. He was pushed down in the list from number five to number six. Says Rabbi Yosef, you know why? So Rashi explains, because Pishu Memenu, Mikta Sanhedrin separated from him. Between the first count and the second count, he left the full-time occupation with Torah and he went into politics to serve in the Persian Empire. And therefore the Tanakh sends him to number six. So the Mepharshim ask a very simple question. Why does Rabbi Yosef have to search for a proof? From Ezra and Nehemiah contrasting to Psukim in an order. He has it in the Megillah. The Megillah says, The Gemara just said, Why does the Gemara have to search far away? Or you could put the question differently. If this is the case, And Mordechai was pushed down the list from number 5 to number 6 by the Tanakh. 
So Mordechai should have done one of two things. Either he should have convinced them that they were wrong and he was right, or he should have repented and left and gone into Torah, which is greater than Atzalus Nefashis, and then he would be upgraded on the list and he would be Ratzilich of what's happening. The answer, of course, is the Ben Yehoyada, the Ben Yishchai writes in his commentary on Gemara, he says the Gemara can't bring a proof from, Masechta, from the Pasuk in Megillah Ratzilich You know why? It's a Raya Lister. That would prove the opposite. You're telling me, because Mardachai was the great downgraded on the list. You're going to bring me the Pasuk, what are you going to say? agreed. agreed. A few brothers didn't agree. So it's actually going to undermine. It's going to undermine. So the Gemara can't use that Pasuk. That Pasuk teaches you Mardachai was right. He wasn't wrong. So the Gemara has to find the contrast between Ezra and Nehemiah. If so... The Ben Yayada is correct, but if so, we have a major problem. The Gemara is bringing two statements, and they're contradicting each other. First, the Gemara says, Melamet Shepir Shemimeno Mixer Sanhedrin Veloi Kol Sanhedrin, which means Veloi Kol Sanhedrin, which indicates, of course, that Mardechai was in the right, he wasn't in the wrong. And then the Gemara says, no, by the way, he was downgraded, and in Ein Yaakov, they were both said by the same person, Amr Rabbi Yosef. If you look in the Girs of Ein Yaakov and Gemara, it's the same man saying two statements which seem to contradict each other. So what is happening here? What is the meaning of this? And what happened with Achiri Rabbim Lahatos? <laughs> there's a cloud, there's a debate in Sanhedrin, and you go according to the majority. There's a debate here. Mordechai is right, Mordechai is wrong. Achiri Rabbim Lahatos, the majority says he's right. What do you mean you separate from him? What is this, a breakaway minion? So you don't agree, fine, take it for a vote. Find out what Mordechai... So you could say it wasn't a psak din, it was just their own feeling. So what they went around sharing their feelings that Mardukhai is wrong when the majority of the Sanhedrin, who are the Chachme Adar, say, Mardukhai is right. What's Pshat? Of course the meaning here is, you have to always read the words of the Gemara. The Gemara doesn't say, Chalku al Mardukhai. The Gemara doesn't say they argued with Mardukhai. The Gemara doesn't even say, as we have a very a common expression in Shas, Ein Ruach Miktsas Chachamim Noichehimenu. Some of the Chachamim, their spirit, was not pleased with what Mordechai did. That's not the expression. The expression is not that they argued and not that they were displeased with him. The expression is, they separated. What does it mean they separated? They appreciated the fact that Mordechai is doing what he's doing from his perspective. They felt that for them, from their vantage point, from their perspective, this was not a path. They had a different mahalach. Pirshu Menu. They had their own derech. It's not that they felt Mordechai was in the wrong. Mordechai violated. Mordechai Khalila was tarnished by politics. He smelled. He smelled the odor of, of power. You're not dealing with a Trump situation. Lahavdil. He smelled. He smelled the smell of power and he's like, I'm not leaving this. No. They separated in the sense that they felt there's a different perspective. And that's why the Gemara says, And not all of the Sanhedrin. And that's why Mordechai didn't change. Why Mordechai had a derech and they understood it. It was the derech of Talmud Yerushalmi, not Talmud Bavli. They were Talmud Bavli and therefore they could not entertain this Mahalach, but they can understand that Mordechai does entertain this Mahalach. That's why there's no Achiri Rabbim Lahatas, they weren't arguing, they weren't saying he was wrong. From their perspective, Pirshu Amen of Mikta Sanhedrin, they have a different derech. 
On this the Gemara says, Rabbi Yosef says, I just want to clarify one thing. Even if Mordechai was right, you should just know that there's something special, there's something unique about somebody who dedicates his entire life, day and night, to learning Torah. Even somebody who's involved in saving souls, but there's something special, and the Tanakh acknowledges it. They don't delete Mordechai's name, but Mordechai's name is downgraded in the Sanhedrin, in the group of the Sanhedrin. Why? Because he's not learning a Talmud Torah. So come to Mordechai and say, be upgraded. Mordechai says, Ich weiss us but Hatzalus Nefashis trumps it. Doesn't necessarily mean you shouldn't do atzalas nafashas. It means you should just know sometimes you're compromising your own spiritual perfection to save a soul. Am I downgraded? Of course I'm downgraded. For hours I have to deal with achashverish. For hours I have to deal with his sarisim, with with all of the people in the palace. Of course, there's a challenge. It's it's you're getting your hands dirty. You're involved in things on your own. You would not want to be involved. This is the greatness of Talmud Torah that even Atzalus Nefashos doesn't have. You're in the world of God 24 hours a day. Here you have to reveal Hashem in a place where He's not revealed. So something is missing, something is missing. But Mordechai won't change and most of the Sanhedrin won't change. Tairasim is Barechus. There's an issue of Atzalus Nefashos. Mordechai remains in his, in, his, in his path, in his derech, and therefore he stays in the palace. Now at last, we come to the Rashi in the beginning of the Megillah. It comes together. Why does Rashi exclude, take out the Pesach from Pshat, not like the Ebenezerah? Because this explains beautifully why Mardachai feels compelled to remain in the Sanhedrin. Because some of his brothers disagree with him because they're in the shit of Talmud Bavli, Teras and Mishtameris. He is from Talmud Yerushalmi, Hagoyla, Shehaglasam, Yerushalayim, is brachin, etenes, beterasam. And now, if there wouldn't be an issue with Achashverish, beautiful, brachin, why should I be there? Talmud Torah is greater than everything. There's an issue with Achashverish that's called Atzalas Nefashas. Even though it's not that there's blood right now, there's a danger right now. But we're dealing with an issue that can end up with a dilemma connected to Atzalas Nefashas, and therefore Mardechai remains in the palace of Achashverish as Mishnah Lamelech Achashverish. What do we now learn from this Rashi? Going over from the world of Pshat, of interpre- Pshat or Drash interpreting, and seeing a profound lesson in this Rashi. What is Rashi telling us? Here you have a king who on the surface has transformed himself. And yet, the Megillah tells us, look a little deeper and you'll see If this is true in the negative, how much more so, as the Gemara always says, how much more, how much more so in the positive. Sometimes, a person looks at himself or a person looks at herself in the mirror. And they feel that for a number of years, they wandered, they made serious mistakes. They did things that may have undermined their moral life, their spiritual life, their familial life, their godly life, their soul, their neshama. And as a result of that, they can enter into a depression or a sense of failure and, and terrible self-guilt and endless remorse of blaming themselves for being such a bad person. 
comes Rashi and tells us, If it's in the negative, you look at a chashverish, and he was transformed in such a powerful way, and you say, don't get affected by the superficial splendor. Remember, in the middle he had a good moment, he, had, he was in a good mood, so we're all lucky. But don't count on it. It's also true even more in the positive. And that is, a person has to know, who The beginning, you're good, you were holy. In the middle, maybe a few years, you made mistakes. And you got lost. You have to be able to appreciate your essence, your true purity, your true identity. Even if in the middle of your life, you took a turn here, you took a turn there. You were born in purity, you're essentially pure. Your soul is a chelik elekamimal, it's a part of Hashem. Even if I made various mistakes, look at the pnimius of yourself, look at the pnimius of your children, look at the pnimius of another Jew, and you'll realize that despite the externalities which are important and have to be fixed, don't let that redefine your entire essence. Sometimes it goes even more than that. A person is born, some of us sitting in this room, or if you're watching, some people were born into families, and they felt that their whole the original life, they were born into families that were completely alienated from Judaism, completely alienated from Torah, completely alienated from mitzvahs. Years later, perhaps, they discover it. And they return and they look at their lives and they say, so many years, it seems, were wasted or alienated, says Rashi. You have to remember, your history didn't begin the day you were born. Our history began thousands of years ago. Every Jew living today, whoever they are, they go back four or five generations. And usually less, but at most four or five, maybe, maybe six generations. They had grandmothers and grandfathers who were fully involved in Torah and Mitzvahs. All the way back to Maimed Har Sinai. So even for a few decades, or a century or two centuries, there was some confusion. A person should not identify themselves based on the external confusion that happened a few years, they should remember that in the negative and ayid is ayid in the positive. From the beginning of time till the end of time, there's one golden chain of commitment to truth, of advekas, of intimacy with Hashem, and even if in the middle, there's different days, people go through different journeys. That's the system. People go through journeys and sometimes they create paths. But it doesn't take away from the fact that their pnimius, their essence, always remains pure, pristine. And that's what they have to see. The Kajnitz Amagat once said something very powerful. He said that the Gemara says, in Masech Rosh Hashanah, Eile de Hashem mikroi kodesh ashetikru oisam so the Gemara says in Rosh Hashanah, that it says three times by the Yamim Toivim, the word Oisam. There's no, there are no Nekudas in the Sefer Torah. So you can read it, Atem. So he says, Ashetikru Oisam, you could read it, Ashetikru Atem. Atem Afilu Shoygigin. Atem Afilu Mezidin, Atem Afilu Anusin, Atem Afilu Motoyin, a few versions. 
Even if Bezdin makes a mistake, they make a wrong calculation, they're fooled by witnesses, whatever happens, and they say this is the new day of the month, and nobody saw the moon, the moon didn't appear last night. It's still Rish Chaydish. The whole story there between Ram Gamliel and Rabbi Yeshua, when Yom Kippur was, Ram Gamliel had his own Yom Kippur, Rabbi Yeshua argued Rabbi Yeshua was a greater astronomer than Ram Gamliel. And he seemed to be right astronomically, and Rabbi Akiva calmed him down and said, Rabbi Gamliel is Bezdin, and when Bezdin says this is the date, even if it's Mezidin, Mezidin doesn't mean they're Rishayim. If a Bezdin is a Russia, they're always Bezdin. Bezdin doesn't mean they're corrupt and they're still Bezdin. That's not a Bezdin anymore, it's always Bezdin. It means Mezidin, they do it especially because they think it's the right thing to do it. For whatever reason, there's different calculations, but they're making a mistake. It's Rishchaydish. So Rabbi Yeshua calmed down and he accepted it and he, he, he walked on Yom Kippur, he carried on Yom Kippur, according to his Yom Kippur, because according to Rabbi Gamliel, it wasn't Yom Kippur. That's what the Gemara says. So the Kajnitz HaMagad says, if the Gemara says this when it says, Oisam, and the Gemara says, don't read it, Oisam, read it, Atem. And Atem three times means, under all circumstances, Atem, you. You, even if you're making a mistake. You, even if you're amazed, if you do it willingly. He says, imagine where it says in the Torah, actually, Atem, not Oisam. It says in Parshas Re'eh, Bonim, Atem Lashem Alekechem. So what's Atem? He says, Atem Afilu Shoigigin, Atem Afilu Mezidin, Atem Afilu Anusin, Atem Afilu Mutoyin. When it says, Bonim Atem, you are children of Hashem. So it means you're always a child. Even if you made mistakes, and even if willingly you rebelled and you violated and you went against, the child remains a child. Even if the child willingly rebelled because the child didn't rebel. It's the external aspect of the child who feels that he or she is compelled to do this and this for whatever reason. We're not getting into all of the psychological, emotional, social trauma reasons that people do what they do. doesn't change the fact that you're a child. So when it comes to negativity, you say, don't get affected by Achashvedish's smile. The fact that he's taking photo ops with Mordechai on the front page, Mordechai and Achashvedish are buddy buddies. Don't turn him into your best friend because next year he could be your greatest enemy and kill you. It happened in Spain. It happened in Germany. This is the story of Jewish history. It comes to the positive. Even if you go through different processes, don't doubt your essential purity, your essential holiness, your essential connection. The fact that you are a child. I want to conclude with Amaisa. The Baba Virov, Reb Shloyma Halberstam, who passed away, Rishchoydish uh, of, I think, Tovshin Samach, right? 2000? Yeah? Okay. So, uh, the Amaisa, that is, uh, uh, he, was, uh, he was a son of the Kedusha Sien, Rebbe Sien, who was murdered in the Holocaust, and he survived, and became afterwards the Baba Virov till his passing in the summer of 2000. The early years, he came to America in the 1940s, and, uh, you know, Babiv, like so many other Hasidic dynasties, was virtually almost completely wiped out. But he began, he rebuilt, and rebuilt a great community, a great empire. And I think he was in Manhattan in the beginning, right? So the Baba Vir, huh? Who was he? In the west side, right? So he didn't have a minion Friday night. So he asked his son, Reb Naftolsha, to go out and find a Jew for a minion. So he went out with somebody else, and there was a Jew walking there on the sidewalk, you know. He looked like a Jew. And he asked him if he would join them for a minion. They need a tenth. He said, yeah. He comes in. He looked like a secular Jew. They gave him a yamulka, 
And he said, by the way, ich bin a baltfila eich. I could daven for the Ahmed eich, gesundheit. So he went to the Ahmed, and he did a beautiful tefillah. And he tells the Baba Virab, he says, you know, before the war in my city, I was a baltfila, I was a chazan. Fine. So he said, so why don't you come? Why don't you come every uh, every Shabbos? You'll be our Bartfilla. We'll have a minion. You'll be a Bartfilla. You'll get your stender back. And he started to come. And it was wonderful. He was a beautiful Bartfilla. And the valley was bringing him into shul. And he was very happy. And then one day he disappeared. He stopped coming. After a few weeks, the Baba Virov, Shabbos morning, asks his son, he says, where is this Jew? So he says, I don't know. He just stopped coming. He probably lost interest. He got bored of the stender. So he says, go outside. Walk around, maybe he's somewhere in the neighborhood, invite him, tell him that we miss him, I want him back, he should come for a visit. Fine, so he takes somebody from the shul, before Shachar's Shabbos morning, and he goes out to look for him. He doesn't know if he's going to find him, but there was a park nearby. So they walk through the park, and this Jew is sitting Shabbos morning in the park, with a newspaper, and he's smoking a, uh, smoking a cigar, smoking a cigarette, and reading the paper. So they saw this, they didn't want to go over, they went back to shul, and he tells his father that, uh, unfortunately, uh, we saw him in the park. He's reading, reading a newspaper and he's, uh, he's smoking on Shabbos. So his father said, Sinisht emes. Sinisht emes. The Baba Verov says, Sinisht emes. Erechet nishtav Shabbos. So he says, Tata, you know, you could be Malamet Tzchus. It's a wonderful thing. I wouldn't invent a story about somebody. It's not my, my thing. And I was here with him. I'm telling this is what I saw. He says, Sinisht Emes. He's not smoking on Shabbos. So he thought, you know, his father was being extra holy and choosing to close his eyes. He says, Tata, I'm just telling you the fact that he's smoking on Shabbos. Interpret it how you want, but this is the fact. So he says, Nay, nay, nay. He's not being Mechal Shabbos. The Nazi, the Nazi Rechet of Shabbos. The Nazi is Mechal Shabbos. He's not desecrating Shabbos. The Nazi, the German, is desecrating Shabbos. The German is smoking on Shabbos. He kept on repeating this. He says, you should know this. And uh, you should go back to him, invite him, tell him that we want him here, and he's always welcome. And you should know that Er Reichet Neshtaf Shabbos, the Nazi Reichet. Okay? His father said so, so he went back. And uh, he invited him and he gave him regards from her father and he said, you're always welcome and so forth. Reb Naftolsha told the story. And he said that approximately 35 or 40 years later, around 35 years later, his father was invited for a Sheva Brachas. And he was already an older man. It was the Baba Verov. Reb Shlomo was invited for a Sheva Brachas of a, of a Jew making a wedding. He already wasn't going. It wasn't easy. He was older. But he decided to go. And he went, and the day of the Sheva Brachas, this person, this, the, the, the father of the Chassan, came to the Baba Virav to, uh, to, uh, to greet him, to ask for a blessing and so forth. He comes in, so he says, call my son Reb Naftalcha. He calls in his son, and there was a Jew standing there, a Jew with a yamulke, with payas, with his son, the Chassan, that came for a blessing for the Baba Virav. And he says... Here was that Jew who raised a son according to the path of Torah. He himself was a Shema Torah Mitzvah. So he says, you see I was right. 
he was never desecrating the Shabbos. The Nazi was desecrating the Shabbos. Now that takes a penetrating vision to be able to see an act which is terrible, which is wrong, and not to justify it Khalil in any way, but to be able to distinguish between the external behavior of the person and who the person really is. This Jew was smoking, but why was he smoking on Shabbos? The pain, the agony, the trauma, the suffering, what he has endured in the war, there was so much pent up in him. This was his way of expressing his frustration, his anger, his pain, his sadness. From his perspective, this is what he felt he should be doing after the Holocaust. It was the Nazi that causes him to desecrate the Shabbos. It's the Nazi desecrating the Shabbos. He himself is not desecrating the Shabbos. However, this became, this defined his life. This overtook his brain. This overtook his heart. There was nothing else. He lost his family. This was it. So who did he blame? He blamed the Jews. He blamed Shabbos. He blamed God. Internally, he wasn't. This is what Rashi is saying, the lesson of Rashi. If it's true in the negative, it's also true in the positive. A person has to be able to know about themselves, that their internal purity and holiness, atem, afilu shayigin, afilu mezidin, never ever changes, even if a few years or a few decades, vertmen fablonjet, there are external factors that take over a person's life, but essentially, who are you? Bonem atem Hashem alakeichem, a child of Hashem. Have a wonderful week. Malach tamis vasparachas. Because malach, what does it help? Ah, ah. I don't know. Then I don't know. It could be Aldera Charemas. When it comes to Torah, it's Lashon Hoiva. It's as nice in Hatayra Lashon Hoiva. Melacha. Right. Mashenkin by Melacha. It's Nitna. Mizay Nois of Shaladam Ktsuvim Lamir Shishana Vadim Kipper. You're right. I understand. I understand. I'm just saying. In Yerushalmi, where it's more clear. So the bracha is in the past, Rosh Hashanah. But Torah is, every day is a new bracha. It could be, I'm not sure that's that, but maybe in Yerushalmi, where everything is clear. So Torah is about present and present. It could be. It's not a mistake. Not my mistake. I took it from, uh, from <laughs> I googled Yerushalmi. They have Yerushalmi online and I copied it. I don't know if there's another gear, so I didn't check. I just took it from the internet. I, I, didn't, I didn't do it myself. <laughs> I wouldn't change a word in Yerushalmi. <laughs> Could be. I don't know. I don't want to say because I didn't look up all the... You're showing me there's sometimes a lot of girses, but I don't know. But it could be. It's like an interesting diuk. Bracha nitenes b'teirasa lashen hoiva. Bracha nitna b'malachta lashen hoiva because it's Rosh Hashanah. But noisena teira lashen hoiva. When you say kachadashem. Through you. So Reb Gedalia says this in Megillah? He says this on... No, I'm saying it's in the face of the same thing. Ramayisha answers him. That's part of the Chuvos, Mwamini Gora.
But but uh, no, but I want to bring over the Tzaddik that he had such a different view of you know on, on this on, 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 uh, that the Torah was blemished. I think I think the lashon is bereicha de levoshayu the yinuka smelled in the reich of the levoshim. I think that's what it says in Zayar. Right? There's, there's a machlekes of Tosfos and the Rishonim and Sukkah. Ha'isik b'mitzvah, patem and mitzvah. What's pshat, right? If you could do the other mitzvah, are you still patem and mitzvah? So there's two shittas, the Ran Tosfos. One is that only if you can't do it, but if you could, of course you have to. There's another shit, ha'isik b'mitzvah, patem and mitzvah. Even if you could do the other mitzvah, you still patem and mitzvah. Even if you could do the other mitzvah. Right. Yeah, it's also stuff is law pichsidis. The lumdish away would be in other words, what's the gather? Yeah. Is the gather Isaac Mitzvah Potim and a mitzvah? But he's taka potim and a mitzvah, but it's mufka from him. Right. He's not mechuyev in it, but right. he doesn't have the other mitzvah. He's not gonna be an oinish, right. he's not mechuyev taka, right. but what the Pshat is Isaac Mitzvah Potim and a mitzvah means as taka potis I feel in a stuck in chloy schiov of them. What would be the nafkamin if you could do the other mitzvah? So it's not a mitzvah for you. Yeah. Rabbi writes in Lamed that Eisim mitzvah patim and a mitzvah is a very beautiful vart. He says every mitzvah is really the Gemara says in Pesachim mitzvahs ain mevat lazu lazu. Benegay matzah maru and maru is menatayr. It's not a problem. Why not? He says because really the nekud of every mitzvah is hashekadishon of a mitzvah of its It's dveikas with Hashem. Shem is Aina, so really every mitzvah is an is yeda and the mitzvah. Or Isaac with mitzvah put the mitzvah while a hotta and the mitzvah. He's doing the other mitzvah. Slam shot he's putting the mitzvah. It's one it's one etzim. It's like a hastu. The mitzvah is really one etzim, so it's not like it's indivisible. The hosta and the mitzvah. If you're Isaac with mitzvah. You're not Isaac with mitzvah. Kolam mitzvah. Kolam mitzvah. Right. Right, right. The Iran argues with Toysra is very heavy. Right. 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 And also the second luchas. <laughs> but you mean bays that is shnius, duality, duality. Huh? Duality. Negeya bekatseyo. It goes into prat. Prat, prat. Klalo prat. Yeah. Well, it was based on the. You saw it was based on the Tafas Kamea. I developed it. Yeah. With him, you have to develop. As a, as a today, today is yours also? No, this side from the laboratory. Right? <laughs> 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 <laughs>
This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.